Welcome to the Entertaining Abstracts podcast. And for those of you out there who are just tuning in now for the first time, this is the podcast that I did as a sister podcast when I initially created Bizarre and Fascinating Details. I did the podcast with the hopes that I would be able to talk about supernatural and paranormal and all the kind of other things. And we did start out talking about that, but then true crime... T- true crime kind of took over the entire thing and it's just like you know that is a genre into its own and people love it and it just we had to do what the listeners wanted and that was create a true crime podcast out of that and sort of nix the other parts of it so I created this secondary podcast to make up for the things that I wanted to talk about that I found super interesting that I know that we have listeners that are interested in as well so it's kind of a sister podcast and I've actually pulled in a special guest for the evening and that is my co-host from Bizarre and Fascinating Details, Darcy. Yeah and I part of of the reason we don't cover supernatural paranormal stuff on Bizarre and Fascinating Details because it freaks me out. Darcy gets scared. (laughs) Darcy gets scared. I do get scared. Yeah, but I mean, tonight's um, topic, I think, is not super scary. Um, It's more of a women's rights issue and more of just an interesting way and that they dealt with that they dealt with justice Mm. back in the day. But I'm going to talk about Grace Sherwood. She is also called the Witch of Pungo. And interestingly enough, she is known as the last person to have been convicted of witchcraft in the state of Virginia. What? Okay. Yeah, she was, her life was from 1660 to 1740. Okay. So this is like way back, you know, witch trials and all that kind of interesting stuff. So let me just kind of jump a little bit into her life. Grace Sherwood was born in 1660. Her parents were John and Susan White. Her father was a carpenter and a farmer. They were of Scottish descent. And it's not really clear from the records whether he was born in America or whether he was born in Scotland, but Susan was English by birth, and their daughter Grace was born in Virginia, probably in Pungo, Virginia. Where's that? So, um, let's just take a look real quick. I've never even heard of that. Might be one of those places that doesn't exist anymore. Right? Uh, Let's see here. Pungo, Virginia Beach, Virginia. Oh, it's Virginia Beach. It's it's actually a town. Yeah. So, near the water... Um, and very, very close to Virginia Beach. Okay. A little bit, very close to the coastline. And those, next to the North Landing River Natural Area Preserve. So it's it's a really interesting, I'm sure it's a beautiful area. But in any case, in April of 1680, Grace White, as she was known by her maiden name, married a respected small farm landowner named James Sherwood. And they got married in Lynn Haven Parish Church. And the couple had three sons together. John, James, and Richard. So, I mean, they're very prosperous mm-hmm. in their the ability to have these children because back then the life expectancy was very low and children did not often live into adulthood. The chances of an infant dying were very, mm-hmm. very high. So for her to have had three men or three boys that lived into adulthood was, I think, somewhat of a rarity. But um, John White gave the Sherwoods, this is uh, Grace's father, 50 acres of land when they married and on his death... In 1681, he left them the remainder of his 145-acre farm. Okay, Okay, so this was a significant portion of land. I mean, it's not huge in terms of what was going on back then, but it was big enough to where they could be somewhat prosperous, depending on what they were growing on their farm. But 
In general, though, the Sherwood family was poor for the era. Oh, okay. They lived in, in an area that was inhabited by small landowners or those who had no land at all. And they did some kind of subsistence farming. And Grace Sherwood grew her own herbs that she used to heal both people and animals. And I think that this was much more common back then than it is now in that... You know, there weren't doctors everywhere. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was, the country was so new and it was so, the, the opportunity to see a medical professional was very rare. So I think people in general learn to take care of themselves in a sort of holistic way. So, you know, if you have a stomach ache, there's a tea for mm -hmm. it. If you have this, there's a cream for it, you know, and you learn how to take the plants and herbs from the land and create remedies from it. I don't think that was necessarily that rare of an issue for people back then, but Grace did that as well, and she also acted as a midwife. Hmm. Um, and that could be mm, a little bit controversial back then, because most doctors, as we know, back then were men. Mm -hmm. And they did not, I think, take lightly to women trying to help in the medical field in any way, shape, or form. That sort of stepped on their toes, and they're like, I am a medical professional, I went to school, or I, I took mm -hmm. this training, and how dare you, this inferior woman, come in and tell me how to birth this child. Right, even though women yeah, do the birthing. So, <laughs> right, exactly. But she did assist, and she was a midwife. And when her husband died in 1701, Grace inherited the property and did not remarry. This, again, is an extremely rare type of a circumstance because... In many instances, women were not considered equal to men, and oftentimes the inheritance of the land had to go to a male relative yeah. or a son rather than the actual wife, but Grace inherited the property. Hmm. Now, no paintings or drawings of Grace Sherwood exist, but the contemporary accounts of her describe her as very tall and attractive and possessing of a sense of humor. Okay. And... What, when you know anything about the time period back then, everybody was very, very serious. Everyone was the church. Everyone was expected to attend church. And women were supposed to be meek and mm -hmm. subservient and small and delicate and dainty. And, and not stand to have out. this woman. Exactly. To have this woman who's intelligent, obviously. And she's strong and she's got a sense of humor. She likes to laugh. And what's even worse, dum dum dum, is she wore trousers instead of a dress <gasps> when working on her farm. Um, Mary Tyler Moore of her. Right. Right. <laughs> that was like the biggest thing that they talk about in the accounts of this is she wore trousers mm -hmm. and oh, how dare she. Um, this was very unusual for the time. And this, as well as her herb growing on her own farm, was like looked at as she's a very strange woman. What was also interesting about her is she was considered to be very good looking and she was kind of attracting men in her area. And this was upsetting the local mm -hmm. women folk. Can't be doing that. They were being haters. Can't be going around being pretty. Now, right? <laughs> God forbid <laughs> she should be attractive and tall and wear trousers. Um, Sherwood's neighbors, um, it appears that they were a little bit jealous of her and that the witch, that all of a sudden these witchcraft tales start to pop up. And some people believe that it was something that was created by some of the women folk in the area in an effort to remove Grace from the area. Mm. And then the men folk wanted her property because you know, she had a significant portion of property. And they started to file these lawsuits against her. Lawsuits? And she had to go to court to defend herself against accusations of witchcraft. Lawsuits. Yes. <sighs> because back then... It wasn't just a religious thing. It was actually a legal fixture of the society. 
to be charged with witchcraft. I don't think I knew that. So she would then have to accuse her accusers of slander. Mm -hmm. Like, you're trying to blacken my good Mm -hmm. name. And she would have to defend herself in these court battles. And from what I understand, she didn't have a lot of money. So it's not like she could go out and hire an attorney. Mm -hmm. But she would have to go in there. And uh, and she was intelligent enough and possessed enough of... the right kind of intelligence to be able to defend herself in these court cases. But as we know, um, those of us who studied history, the existence of witches and demonic forces was kind of taken for granted by American colonists and witchcraft was considered to be the work of the devil and everywhere. Mm -hmm. Like everyone around every corner was like, Hey, there's witches everywhere. Like they're trying to take over. You have to fight this. They just want to take over your soul. They want to control our society and everything that they didn't agree with was like witchcraft. So it must have been a very, very frightening time to live in because anytime you disagreed with anyone or if you were a woman that had any kind of intelligence or ability to speak on anything, then you were a witch. Well, and you could just go around accusing anybody else of being a witch just because you didn't like them. Yeah, exactly. Basically, colonists believed that witches could be anyone who had strange behavior. (laughs) Anyone, right? And even if they didn't have strange behavior, it was just something that you didn't agree with. Just accuse them of being a witch and you're good to go. And... uh, just the irony of like they left England because of religious persecution and they're like nope you're different can't be having that right crazy right Um, it's interesting to note that as early as 1626 19 years after the founding of Jamestown colony which was one of the first colonies that um, the English people came over and created a grand jury in Virginia sat to consider whether goodwife Joan Wright was a witch. She had supposedly predicted the deaths of three women and had caused illness as revenge for not hiring her as a midwife. And again, you know, looking back on many of these cases now, we know it was a bunch of bull. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't the truth. It was just a bunch of mean, nasty women who were getting their revenge because they didn't like someone. Which, you know, I think we haven't gotten that far no. from that. <laughs> no. <laughs> like, we just do different things to get this revenge. But back then, they would just accuse somebody of witchcraft and get rid of them. And I'm sure this woman never predicted deaths mm-hmm. or caused illness, but they created this sort of narrative in order to get rid of this poor woman. Well, I mean, that's like because high school, right? Like, you don't like somebody in your grade, and so you make up a rumor about them. I mean, that's what yeah. high school is. There's absolutely no evidence anywhere yeah. that any of this actually happened, etc. But nonetheless, Virginia did experience these kind of mass hysteria events like the Salem, Massachusetts witch trials from about 1692 to 1693, where 19 people were executed Jeez. on allegations of sorcery. And this was a few years before the first accusations against Grace Sherwood started to pop up in Virginia. Okay. So, a little bit of a difference, Massachusetts versus Virginia, but I don't think that the accusations were different. I think they were happening in many different areas simultaneously, if you can believe that or not. But, um, ecclesiastical influence in the courtroom was much less a factor, though, in Virginia, because the clergy rarely participated in witchcraft trials in that particular instance versus Massachusetts, where Hmm. ministers were, like, active participants in the court trial and the activities that were surrounding that. And people's fears of witchcraft in Virginia, where Grace Sherwood was, were not based on religious beliefs as much as they were rooted in kind of a folklorish sort of a thing. Hmm. 
but sometimes they were kind of intermingled, but I think it was more of a folklore kind of a thing, like belief in fairies and things like that versus strict religious right. upbringing beliefs from the Bible. Interesting. But, um, ba, 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 and New England Puritans had settled in towns and community pressure helped contribute to witchcraft convictions. But there were not very many of these types of communities in Virginia, where the population mostly lived on farms and plantations, connected by water transport and scattered over large areas. So versus Massachusetts, where everybody is like concentrated in this very small area and they're working these outlying farms and the communities are very compact and intermingled and it makes for a different sort of a social Mm -hmm. outcome versus Virginia, where everyone was more spread out and they're all working their individual farms and things like that. So that makes Mm -hmm. sense. Virginia's lay and religious leaders were also more interested in prosecuting offenses like gossip, slander, and fornication because they saw them as threats to social stability. Whereas when you're looking at the Northern factions, they were persecuting and prosecuting people based upon the belief that they were sort of splintering the religious unity. Hmm. So it's social stability versus religious like fervency. It's interesting how that's two very different now. things. Like the South would be more about religious fervence. Yeah. And Virginia courts were actually more reluctant to hear accusations of witchcraft and were even more reluctant to convict Mm. because they felt like it was sort of against public policy. It was sort of, it would splinter communities and it would sort of prevent the economy from flowing smoothly. So like, we're not going to do this unless you've got some serious stuff going on here. And Salem witch trials, on the other hand, the accused had to prove their innocence. In Virginia courts, the accuser carried the burden of proof. So for those, let me just summarize that. In the Salem witch trials up in the northern parts of the country, the person had to prove their innocence in order to get out of the the accusation of witchcraft. Whereas Virginia courts Exactly. And the Virginia courts were the exact opposite. The they the accuser had to show this person definitely did this witchcraft behavior and was definitely a witch so it's interesting the difference in that burden of proof yeah for sure and further virginia courts generally ignored evidence that was said to have been obtained by supernatural means whereas new england courts were known to convict people based solely on it wow so virginia required proof of guilt through either searches for witches marks or ducking and i'm going to explain what that means so Witches' marks could be moles, could be like an extra nipple, could be like any one of physical blemishes on the body that could be considered a witch's mark. Okay. Which is absolutely horrifying. So if you had a mole in a certain spot, you could be considered a witch because that was a witch's mark. Okay. Or, you know, if you had a scar in a certain area, they could consider that a witch's mark. Judges and magistrates would dismiss unsubstantiated claims of witchcraft and allow the accusers who found themselves under an ill tongue to be sued for slander. So if they couldn't prove all this, the accuser could be sued for slander in that, hey, you accuse me of this, you're ruining my life, you slandered me, I have a right to justice within the court system as well. So there's some kind of punishment for making a false accusation too. Exactly. So it's interesting because it seems like that's fair. Yeah. And I, I never really knew that until I started researching this and found out that, interestingly enough, Virginia had that kind of in place. Mm-hmm. And it was, to me, very, very cool to kind of discover that. But um, 
And that kind of showed that Virginia early on was trying to discourage these charges being brought of witchcraft because they were so troublesome and they were kind of disruptive of society and they kept the economy from running smoothly. So Virginia was more interested in like keeping the economy going, people keeping people making money yeah. rather than the religious aspects of it. And a lot of scholars and people that have studied this think that it may have been due to local poverty and that there was no cultural elite to restrain mm. the prosecutions in the Virginia area. So um, there's not a whole lot of Virginia records that survive from that particular area, but there were 19 known witchcraft cases brought in the colony during the 17th century, which is when Grace Sherwood was there. All but one of them ended in acquittal. Wow. The one conviction was a, a 1656 case of a man convicted of a man, oh. interestingly enough, convicted of witchcraft and sentenced to 10 stripes and banishment from the colony. So they didn't sentence him to death, which would necessarily been some would have been what you would have thought yeah. they would have sentenced. Because if you look at it, historically at witch trials, a person ends up dead nine yeah. times out of 10. But what are, te what are he was stripes? banished from the colony. Whipped him. Oh. They, beat, they whipped him with a strap. Okay. Like, usually they'll take them down to the skin and they have a leather strap and they lash them on the back and it basically just cuts the skin. Like, it's awful. It's very, very painful. Um, nonetheless, as late as 1736, Virginia's justices of the peace were reminded that witchcraft was still a crime and that first offenders could expect to be pilloried and jailed for up to a year. Now, <laughs> I'm not necessarily sure what pilloried means. I think it means you're in the stocks, but let me just double check. I know I've looked it up before, but I don't remember. It's a, yeah, it's a wooden framework with holes for the head and oh, the okay. hands where you're basically locked into this thing and held to be exposed to public abuse. So they could throw things at you and hit you or Jesus. whip you or whatever as they were walking by, which is absolutely horrifying. But in any case, so you could be pilloried and jailed for up to a year. And in 1745, John Craig, a Presbyterian minister in Augusta County, made assertions of witchcraft after his child and several of his animals died. Okay, so this was basically he accused, after his animals and his child died, he accused someone of practicing the divine arts and this is evil crap. So, like, he accused them of witchcraft. But neither he or those who accused him brought their claims to court. Wait. Neither he or those who accused him brought their claims to court to face unsympathetic magistrates, though prosecution for witchcraft was still possible in Virginia. Now, the last Virginia witchcraft trial took place in 1802 in Brook County, which is now West Virginia. In that particular case, a woman claimed that a woman was a witch and accusation ruled the accusation was ruled slanderous. So, ducking. What is ducking? It is basically a trial... It's, it's essentially a trial because they take the, the accused and they immerse them in water and see if they'll float. Oh. And the thing is, there's sort of some conflicting idea of how they do this, but it's my understanding that they tie the hands and feet together and they throw them in the water and if they float, then they're... A witch? Yeah. And if they, they if die, they sink, then they then were... they're not a witch. <laughs> Then they drown. See what I'm saying? Yeah. It's like you're going to die either way. Yeah. Because if you float, then you're a witch and you're going to be killed. Yeah. And if you sink, then you're a witch. You're not a witch and you die anyway. This is what so I always really... heard. It was like that if that if you floated, then they burned you at the stake. This was like. Yeah. 
Yeah. Not great. And they didn't burn anyone at the stake in the, the colonies, but they used this particular practice Jeez. on some of them, and it just doesn't make any damn sense. But they only used this once in Virginia, hmm. and this was to try Sherwood. Mm. It was believed that water was considered pure, and it would reject witches, causing them to float. Whereas the innocent would sink, we were so which doesn't stupid. make one <laughs> sense, but it just shows you how the colonies worked back then and how the justice system was so ass backwards at that time. But so let's talk about the claims against Sherwood. The first of the accusations against poor Grace came to court in about 1697. Now this neighbor, Richard Capps, alleged that she'd used a spell to cause the death of his bull. So his bull died. She cast a spell on my bull, and it died. Which is so stupid. Sure thing, guy. The court made no decision in this case, and the Sherwoods filed a, def- a defamation suit against Caps that was resolved by a settlement. I believe this is before her husband died. Okay. And then in 1698, Sherwood was accused by her neighbor, John Gisborne, of enchanting the pigs and cotton crop. What? Enchanting the pigs... <laughs> And his cotton crop. How do you enchant a pig okay. and a cotton crop? I don't know. But when I heard this, I was like, are you effing kidding me? Are you serious right now? Is it dance like Cinderella? No. I don't know. Like, dancer. She wore trousers, so maybe she just walked in front of it, and she was so attractive that she enchanted them. <laughs> but there, there also was no court action following this accusation, and another suit for defamation by the Sherwoods failed. In the same year, Elizabeth Barnes alleged that Sherwood had... A, Assume the form of a black cat. So this neighbor, Elizabeth Barnes, was like, hey, I saw her. She turned into a black cat. She entered my home, jumped over my bed, drove and whipped me, and left via the keyhole. As a cat? Yeah. You can't make this stuff up. It is so crazy. So she turned into a cat. She jumped over my bed. She whipped me and then took off and left out of the keyhole. Uh Uh-huh. And, again, this allegation was unresolved. They they never took it to court, and she took it to court for defamation, but this action, again, the court dismissed it. For each of the failed actions, Sherwood and her husband had to pay court-related costs. Mm. So, although she's being accused of witchcraft, and she's never taken to court on it, she's still having to pay for these lawsuits. Mm -hmm. So, they didn't have a lot of money. It must have been very hard to be continuously accused of being a witch. Mm -hmm. But... According to Richard Beale Davis in his journal article on witchcraft in Virginia, by this time, Princess Anne County, which is where this happened, had grown tired of Miss Sherwood as a general nuisance. So, so many people were accusing her of being a witch. She's the nuisance. (laughs) Okay. 1705. Sherwood was involved in a fight with her neighbor, Elizabeth Hill. Again, the same woman who accused accused her of being this cat who, like, snuck in and snuck out through the keyhole, which seems freaking crazy to me is elizabeth like drinking a little bit too much of the wine like the wine's fermented a little maybe she has a really big keyhole a cat-shaped (laughs) keyhole i don't know but sherwood sued hill and her husband for assault and battery so they got into this brawl and sherwood's like nah i'm suing you for assault and battery and on december 7th 1705 was awarded damages of 20 shillings okay one pound sterling which i don't know how much money that equates to now but it seems like that was a good amount of money back then Back in 1705. Now, there's actually an engraving of a ducking. And you see this woman who's naked from the waist up, tied with her feet and her hands. And I'll post a picture of this on Instagram. But 
She's her hands and her feet are tied together. I don't know. Is that called hogtied? I think so. Yeah. She, her hands and her feet are tied together, and she's getting ready to be thrown in. Why the is water. she naked but, from the waist up? I don't know. They, I don't necessarily think that was what actually happened back then, but they want to sensationalize oh. it and make it look super salacious. But on January 3rd, 1706, the Hills, which had been sued previously and found guilty of more. assault and battery and forced to pay money, they accused Grace Sherwood of witchcraft. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> and she failed to answer this charge in court. And on February 7th, which is you know not too long after, about a month after, the court ordered her to appear on a charge of having bewitched Elizabeth Hill, causing a miscarriage. I don't know what it is about this bewitching thing. I loved <laughs> I don't that show. Really understand. Like, bewitched me. She enchanted me. She bewitched me. Like, it's, it just sounds like this Grace Sherwood lady is just wonderful. Like, yeah. I want to hang out I know. with her. I, those are, like, very magical. Like, it sounds, like, delightful. Yeah. But on March, um, in March 1706, the Princess Anne County Justices... And again, it wasn't just one judge. It was usually a panel of judges sought to impanel two juries, both made up of women. So at least they had that jury of your peers sort of a thing, which seemed very forward to me for the time. And the first was ordered to search Sherwood's home for a waxen or baked figure that might indicate she was a witch. So this group of women would go into her house and look for figurines or objects which could be considered those of a witch. Like a doll. Like a voodoo doll. Um, yeah, basically. In, in much the same way. The second part, and this, I don't know why this bothers me so much. I think you'll understand what you hear. But the second panel was ordered to look and examine Grace Sherwood for demon suckling teats. I'm sorry? Demon <laughs> suckling teats. What is that? It's any birthmark, extra nipple, anything this on her like body where demons... Yeah, where demons could conceivably suck something out of Did her. Did they also, know what like, be sucking. circle all the extra fat on her body with a permanent marker? Jesus Christ. Pretty much, yeah. It's just horrific to me. Just So they have to go examine her naked to see if she's got any weird marks on her that might con- be considered demon teats. But um, in both instances, reluctance on the part of local residents made it really hard to form a jury. <laughs> And both juries refused to carry out the searches. So they were just like, nah, we're, we're not doing this. Yeah. And kudos to them yeah. for standing up and saying, this is BS. We're not doing this crap. On March 7th, 1706, Sherwood was examined by a jury of 12. So they finally found a jury that was going to like check her out. 12 women. And they supposedly were quote unquote ancient and knowing women. So they were witches? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, that would seem what that means to me, but um, they were appointed to look for markings on her body that might be brands of the devil. So these teeth sucking oh, for things. Crying out loud. And interestingly enough, and not surprising, they discovered two marks, not like theirs or like those of any other women. So they found some moles on her where they were like, no one else that we know has these, which how the hell would they know what other women have? Uh, yeah, they they, also have, they looked at all these other women, these naked? other women naked. I just don't understand that. In any case, maybe they just looked at their own bodies and were like, hey, we don't have these marks. Do you have these marks? And the other woman was they like, looked oh, down and they're like, what's Do that? You, those marks? <laughs> you must right? be a witch. Jesus. And this, the forewoman of this journey was the same Elizabeth Barnes who had previously accused Sherwood of witchcraft. Ah, seems chill. So, yeah, that seems fair, mm-hmm. right? Neither the colonial authorities in Williamsburg or the local courts in Princess Anne were willing to declare her a witch, though. <laughs> 
despite these weird marks, the, the authorities are like, mm, we're not so sure about that. We want society to run smoothly. This is a normal woman. She's decent. We don't want to do this. Um, ba, 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 ba. Those in Williamsburg consider the charge overly, overtly vague. And on April 16th, on, ugh, can't speak right, straight. And on April 16th, they instructed the local court to examine the case more fully. So they're like, this seems super vague. We don't really know what you're trying to get at here. Give us a little bit more explanation. For each court appearance, Sherwood had to travel 16 miles from her farm in Pungo to where the court was sitting. So 16 That's miles back then yeah. is a long freaking way. It's probably and half you're a day. basically Yeah. You're spending the entire day going back and forth to this courthouse. And she's got a farm to run. Yeah. Her husband had died. Like this poor woman, I can't even imagine the kind of stress this must have created in her life. But on May 2nd, 1706, the court justices noted that while no particular act had been alleged against Sherwood, there was a great cause of suspicion. Quote, unquote, great cause of suspicion. That's it. So, consequently, the sheriff of Princess Anne County took Sherwood into custody, though Sherwood could give bond for her appearance and good behavior. So, they'd let her out or she could give them some money, essentially. Right. Which is how it works now, today now. It's crazy. Uh, Maximilian Bosch, a warden of Linhaven Parish Church, was a prosecutor in the Sherwood case. And on July 5th, 1706, the justices ordered a trial by ducking to take place mm. with Sherwood's consent. So we know there's some shady, weird stuff going on here. You've got a couple marks. We don't want to convict you, but hey, let's do a ducking and that'll prove conclusively whether you're a witch or not but she has to consent to it or she did consent to it she has to consent to it otherwise she'd be proved a witch so you're damned if you do you're damned if you don't jesus which seems just effing awful yeah. to me um but lucky for her heavy rains caused a postponement until july 10th because they feared the wet weather might harm her health yeah. <laughs> before they kill her She's going to drown, yeah. but, you know, wet weather might harm her health. So Sherwood was taken inside this local church and placed on a stool in order to ask for forgiveness for her witchery. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So they're like, hey, plead with us, plead your case, tell us, you know, you're not innocent, that you're not a witch, and we'll help get this going. But she said, I'm not a witch, I'm a healer, F you, basically. So about 10 a.m. on July 10th, 1706, Sherwood is taken down a dirt road known as Witch Duck Road. Oh, for God. reasons. To a plantation near the mouth of the Linhaven River. And by then, as you can imagine, news has spread yeah. and people from all over the colony have, like, come out to watch this. And they're all shouting, Duck the Witch! Duck the Witch! So... As a little bit more explanation for this, according to the principles of trial by water, if Sherwood floated, she would be guilty of witchcraft. Again, it's kind of a summary of what I said earlier. And if she didn't, she would be innocent. And then also dead. It was not intended. <laughs> yeah. But it was not intended that she should drown. The court had ordered that care be taken to preserve her life. So if she sinks, they're supposed to jump in there and grab her before she drowns. But like... I just wonder how many of these cases right. where they just kind of hated them anyway, so they just let them drown, and we're like, whoops, yeah. our bad. So five women of Linhaven Parish Church examined Sherwood's naked body on the shoreline for any devices she may have to free herself, 
and then covered her with a sack. Can you imagine Jesus. being a woman and being stripped naked out there in front of all these people watching this and the sack thrown over you? I mean, this must have been an absolutely horrific, just awful experience. Six of the justices that had ordered the ducking rode in one boat about 200 yards out in the river, and another was the sheriff, the magistrate, and Sherwood. Just before she was pushed off the boat, Sherwood is said to have stated under clear skies, before this day be through, you will all get a worse ducking than I. Ooh. Bound across the body, her right thumb to her left big toe, and her left thumb to her right big toe, oh she was cast into the river. She floated to the surface. The sheriff then tied a 13-pound Bible around her neck. Wait, wait, wait. That's not part of this. Yeah, they did that. This caused her to sink, uh-huh. but she untied herself and returned to the surface, convincing almost everyone there that she was a witch. Huh. As she was pulled out of the water, a downpour reportedly started drenching the onlookers. Which... I don't know how much of that is actual right. truth. I think some of these stories just get extrapolated so hugely that people think that this is, oh, this is such a scary thing, but none of it really right. happened because it's the telephone game where it starts out one way and ends up so crazy and bizarre that people are like, what? But anyway, she was pulled from the water and several women subsequently examined her for additional proof and found two things like teats or tits on her private parts of a black color. She was jailed pending further proceedings. So they examined her before, they examined her after, and now they find these two weird marks, and they're like, oh, she's definitely a witch. Like, we need further proceedings. Even though we did the ducking, because that was supposed to right. be, like, proving this whole thing, and now it's not. But what happened to Sherwood after her ducking is unclear, because court records have not really been kept, or they've been lost for some reason, but she served an unknown time in jail next to the Lynn Haven Parish Church. And... Some people say it was as long as seven years and nine months. So she was Jeez. in there for a long friggin' time. She was ordered to be detained to be brought to a future trial, but no record of any other trial exists. So it's possible that the charge was dismissed at some point. Maybe they were just like, okay, we're done with yeah. this. Like, we don't want to mess with this anymore. But on September 1st, 1708, she was ordered to pay Christopher Cook 600 pounds of tobacco for a reason not indicated in surviving records, but there was no mention of payment. She appears to have been released sometime on or before 1714. Since that year, she had paid back taxes on her 145-acre property. The back taxes and she couldn't pay while she was in jail? Yes. Got it. So she had to pay the back taxes to recover her property, and that helped her get this back into Princess Anne County on the banks of Muddy Creek, which is where her property was. It's now called Muddy Creek Road. And then she lived the remainder of her life quietly until her death in 1740, aged 80. Oh, my gosh. So, it's interesting. Um, she's believed to have died in August or September of 1740, and her will was proved on October 1st, 1740, and it noted that she was a widow. And she left five shillings to each of her sons, James, Richard, and everything else to her oldest son, John. So, according to local legend, her sons put her body near the fireplace, and a wind came down the chimney. Her body disappeared among the embers, and the only <laughs> clue left was a cloven hoof print. I think that's a bunch yeah. of BS. She now lies in an unmarked grave under some trees in a field near the intersection of Pungo Ferry Road and Princess Anne Road in Virginia Beach. 
There are a lot of stories about the devil taking her body and unnatural storms and black cats and blah, blah, blah. And local men killed every feline they could find, supposedly, during this time period because they were so freaked out about this. But this widespread killing of cats might have caused the infestation of rats and mice recorded in Princess Anne County in 1743. So there was some pretty dramatic Did it, like, bring the black plague? They're like, yeah, we gotta get rid of all these black cats. This is freaking scary. And then instead they created this infestation of rats and mice. But her home on Muddy Creek stood for over 200 years after being buried several times in the 20th century by... Oh, excuse me. After the home was burned several times in the 20th century by vandals, all that's left now is... In 2002 was the brick chimneys, which were bulldozed in November 2002. There are a few bricks and part of the foundation in an overgrown area, and the property is now owned by the federal government as part of the Black Bay National Wildlife Refuge. Mm. But I think what's interesting to note about this case um, is that in recent times, she's been... They, they brought this back up and she was, let me see, they actually, they acquitted her. Really? Yeah. So there's a bunch of stuff about the, in the Virginia history, historic annals discussing her, mm-hmm. but, um, let's see here. I don't believe on July 10th, 2006, Governor Tim Kaine restored Grace Sherwood's good name 300 years to the day since the ducking ordeal that condemned her for witchcraft. Wow. So she got sort of this posthumous. Yes, there we go. Sorry, I'm a little buzzed now. <laughs> um, they cleared her name in like 300 years after this happened, wow. which I think is absolutely amazing. I think it's interesting also that she lived to be like 80. Yeah, for real. That's really I had completely for forgotten about her sons until you mentioned that like they were in her will. Where were they during this whole thing? I'm not sure, but I'm sure that the way it was, the way things were back then is like, you couldn't say anything oh, or you'd be accused to. I guess that's fair, yeah. And there's a lot of people that have written books about her, and she's in folk tales and all kinds of other stuff. Um, a, st- a statue by California sculptor Robert Cunningham depicts Sherwood with a raccoon and a basket of rosemary. This was revealed April 21st, 2007, on the site of the present-day center of Bayside Hospital, close to the sites of both the Colonial Courthouse and the Ducking Point. Mm. Um, a Virginia Department of Historic Resources marker was erected in 2002, about 25 yards from Sherwood's statue. And the place of her watery test in the adjacent land was named Witch Duck Bay and Witch Duck Point. A portion of Virginia State Route 190 in Virginia Beach, a north-south thoroughfare on its western side, which traverses an Interstate 264, has been named Witch Duck Road. There are other um, commemorations of Virginia Beach, which include Sherwood Lane and Witch Point Trial or Trail. In 2014, a, memoir, a memorial marker was placed on an herb garden at the old Dom- Domination Episcopal Church, which was her former parish church. So there's like a lot of yeah. different points, I think, in that area where they've kind of memorialized her. And it's interesting that she, her name was cleared 300 years For later. Real. I have a buddy that lives in Virginia Beach. I'm going to ask him if he's ever heard of her or like any of those roads or witch duck and all that stuff. When I heard about this case, I was just instantly fascinated by it because, number one, women didn't have a lot of rights back then. Yeah. And she inherited property. She was tall. Yeah. She was attractive. She was intelligent. And she basically, she went to prison and served her time and got out and was just like, deuces, I'm doing my thing. Like, you can't Mm -hmm. break me. 
Like, and got her property back. Yeah, it's Which super, I think is just astounding. It's super interesting that she was allowed to inherit the property. I was curious about that because I didn't think that you could, especially if you had living sons. Yeah. So very interesting case and definitely an interesting abstract mm-hmm. for the folks out there. And I'm going to go ahead and wrap the episode up for now. I'm sure that we're Darcy's exhausted after just recording another <laughs> episode that we just did. But it's an interesting story, and I, and I hope you all enjoyed as much as we did. A good night, folks. We'll see you next episode. <laughs>